listening to LA Theater Bites, and I'm here with writer um, Philip Keeling. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's a Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia writer, and he is uh, just finished a new play called not just finished, but finished a new play called Suprema, and it's uh, going to be playing at uh, the at Stages Theater in Fullerton um, coming up in a, in, a, in about a month from now. And um, so I, I had the honor of talking to him right now, um, live stream. Right now he's uh, in still actually in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, tell us a little bit about this show, um, Suprema. It has something to do with Wonder Woman, right? Yes, uh, and it's actually kind of appropriate that you say he just wrote it because it feels that way. Uh, I had I I was for a long time. That's I wanted to be a playwright. That's all I wanted to be. Uh, but like a lot of writers that I know, you get kind of entrenched in one style of writing, and then you start to go. Uh, let's try this other thing out for a little while. And so I started writing novels and poetry and uh, everything else. And then I started doing stand-up comedy, and that was all I did for a long time, uh, for about eight years. And uh, and then I got out of that. Uh, I'm semi-retired now, and I wrote Suprema, which I'd been wanting to write for a long time. And it was uh, the first play I'd written in almost ten years. And uh, and just as soon as it was done, and I'd gone through a few drafts, I started sending it out, just looking for theaters to give it a reading or something like that, and stages picked it up uh they didn't even they didn't they didn't even want a reading of it they wanted to do the whole hog and that was that was a wonderful way to be reintroduced into the theater community that felt real good so it feels like i just wrote it myself uh it, it, it was a pretty quick turnaround but yes suprema is about uh it is a fictional comedy about real people uh william moulton marston who was a psychologist in the 30s and 40s uh invented Wonder Woman as a way of expressing uh, femininity and the, uh, and the divine female uh, to get her out there. And he in the thirties and well, he's most of his life lived in an unorthodox marriage where he and his wife, who was also a psychologist had a live-in lover uh, named Olive who lived with them. And in fact, after uh, Marston died, uh, the two women stayed together uh, until they both passed. So it was a polyamorous relationship in a time where there wasn't even a word for that. Uh, so they were incredibly unorthodox. We also know that they were uh, very into uh, BDSM and uh, some really stuff, sex stuff that would have been, that would have been controversial to talk about openly 10, 20 years ago, uh, let alone uh, the thirties. Uh, and he pitched Wonder Woman. He based her very much on the two women that he was living with. And he pitched the idea to uh, uh, DC Comics, what is now DC Comics, and uh, got her created. And she was the first great female uh, superhero. And after doing some reading on their lives and, uh, and, and who they were, I just thought, wouldn't it be funny to basically write a sex comedy? about that night and uh and so it is based on real people it actually even has some dialogue that is quoted to them but there is but the, the way things go it becomes very much a sexy comedy of errors in a lot of ways and uh th this is not a historically accurate piece <laughs> let me put it that way uh outs at least in the specifics 
So it's about them kind of trying to hide their relationship from this executive from New York who's a bit stuffy and trying to come off as regular a regular family unit uh, so that he'll they figure they'll have a better chance of selling the damn thing uh, if they do it that way. And of course, like a lot of plays, as the evening goes on, the charade just kind of crumbles and wonk wonk you know goofy things happen and that sort of thing and uh, it was it was a ton of fun to write uh so it's it's a fun play it is it really is that um wow i i gotta, I gotta say i just gotta say wow for a second because um even though i actually read the uh the press release before this and i, I had kind of had a good idea of what, what you were talking uh, talking about in the story because and i was like wow that's really interesting that's an interesting idea um even while reading all of that the whole time i was thinking Oh yeah, this is this this was this is an interesting made up thing and someone that just really likes Wonder Woman and they thought they got really creative, but now you're telling me this this is re this is actually not all of it the actual story is fake, but a lot of it's coming from real life and this it is it is it is that's yeah. blowing my, that's blowing my mind. Like, <laughs> a person that's a lifelong DC fan, um I love comics and read cause my my whole life uh DC, uh, and you know, as much as I, I enjoy Marvel, DC has always been had a place in my heart as sure. one of my favorite things. Though I'm not so happy with some of the directions they go in lately with a lot of stuff, but um, right. I still love I still love DC, and um, it's just wow, this, this they're a real American classic. Play. They wow. really are, and yes, and all of this, yeah, wow. it, it is a like I said, it's a fictional piece about real people. Uh, and that is all true. Uh, William Marston was the inventor of the device that would go on to become the lie detector test. Yes. Uh, thus, the lasso of truth. Um, the one of the original weaknesses of Wonder Woman is that she, uh, if she was uh, tied up uh, or otherwise, um, you know, locked up essentially by a man, she would lose her powers. I, uh, I remember. Yeah. yeah. The, the bracelets have a very uh, S&M kind of thing to them. The moment you realize this stuff, yeah. so much opens up. Um, and in fact, a few years back, uh, there was this thing going on online. Big surprise, the geeks were arguing online. Yeah. And uh, I forget what writer it was, but one of the writers uh, who had been working on the comic at the time, had been doing that run, um, said yeah uh diana is a is a bisexual she is bisexual there's no question about it and oh my gosh the the angry nerds that came out uh saying diana is not a bisexual wonder woman is a bisexual stop stop uh projecting your liberal fantasies on a classic american superhero and people like me who had done the research went uh look Moulton Marston never came out and said she was a bisexual, but if you think that he made a straight character, like if you thought thinks if you think that he was like he would have a problem with her even being bisexual, you're out of your damn mind. That was the least because in you know in this world I'm a feminist and in, and in this world I have enough trouble explaining to people who don't understand what that is that I'm not of the belief that women should rule men, which is what a lot of people th seem to think that feminism is. I, I believe it, it's about equality and, and bringing women up to the level that men have enjoyed for so long. Uh, so that's hard enough. Um, but Dr. Marston 
believed that women were superior and that they should control the world. He was the ultimate sub. He believed that women, if women control the world, we would be at peace and we would be, uh, we would have none of the issues we have now. So he was, he, he, again, in an age where even feminism was looked on as a strange queer idea, uh, uh, he, he was taking it that much further. He was a radical. There's no other word for it. Uh, in fact, I, now that I think of it, I wonder if he wouldn't be somewhat insulted uh, at my notion in the play that he would even hide it. Uh, I have no reason to believe that he would. He, he certainly never really did. Um, so it, it's it's possible that none of this would ever happen, but it, it sure is fun for, for an evening of theater. <laughs> right, right. What um what tipped, uh, I'm just curious, um, what what was it that tipped you off? Was it the binding of the ropes by a man that tipped you off, or uh, and you were like, now I need to look into this man? What oh, was that, you know, that moment that made you that made you like go? I need to look into this guy. <laughs> Nothing quite so interesting as that. It was one of those things that um, I was reading a book. I forget which book it is. It was just a book about the history of superheroes and comic books. Um, I'm a big audiobook fanatic. Uh, I, I travel quite a bit. And I always have, and I'm, I'm an army brat. So we moved all the time. And when I was unlucky enough to turn 16 and actually had to help drive us wherever we were moving that particular summer, uh, I lost the ability to sit in the back of the van and just devour a paperback on mass. And uh, I couldn't, you know, one paperback after another until we got there, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. So when I got to college and I was traveling back and forth, I went to college in Pennsylvania. My family all lives in the South. So I just started latching on to audiobooks, And one of them was about the history of comic books. I said, great, this will be an easy, fun read, quote unquote, to listen to on the drive. And kind of in passing, uh, I think they had like two paragraphs about the creator of Wonder Woman and his sexual proclivities. And I remember stopping for gas and grabbing a notebook and going, what the hell? Like there's, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. You can't just keep that to a couple of paragraphs. That's crazy to me because the moment it was like a lot yeah. of things, the moment they said it, you start to, it, you start to go, Oh, like, like when we were younger and you first start to meet people who are, you know, back, back in the nineties or something. And I first started to meet people who were coming out openly as gay. And I'd never experienced that before. And some of them would tell you, well, I'm gay. And you'd start to like have a flashback and go, oh yeah, all the signs were there. I totally missed that. And it was the same thing. Uh, yeah. I think I, I was like, holy shit, the lie detector test, the, the tying up, it was all there. It was right there in front of my face. And, and, and I just had no, I, I had no idea. And uh, uh, a book came out about the subject. Um, in fact, when I was almost done with writing the play, a film, a biopic about the three of them came out. Um, I forget which it was Dr. Dr. Marston uh, and the women or something, or I might be thinking Dr. T and the women. I don't know. Uh, it, I never watched it uh, because there was that part of me that it was, I was, I saw the preview. Yeah. I was devastated. I was devastated because there were so many elements that, felt so similar to the play I was writing. And I was like, God damn it. I've been writing this thing and, and it, this is going to be a waste. And, uh, and I looked into it. I, I watched some of the scenes and everything. And it's a far more standard, serious kind of biopic. Uh, uh, 
the kind that you would have seen in the early thousands, really. Yeah. Um, and so that wasn't, and mine is clearly not a biopic. It's, it's, it's a sex farce, you know, and, and satire. So it, it, they're two different animals. So I calmed down uh, from my, my panic attack there. And uh, yeah, that's, and, and just finish the damn thing. Cause like I said, I hadn't written a play in so long. I think even if I'd found out that it was almost moment for moment, the same play, I still would have been like, Oh, I've got 20 pages left. Let's just finish the damn thing. I'll move on to something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it sounds like you've been working on this script for quite a while and uh, you were a playwright before, and then you quit to do stand up comedy for a little bit. Now that um, now that you're back into playwriting and you're releasing this play, has your writing changed since you're since you've had your experience with stand up comedy? No, that's that's a good question. Uh, a, uh, yes, uh, I learned a lot uh, from doing stand up. Okay, um, I'd always been obsessed with comedians. I'd always worshipped people like George Carlin and and uh, Lenny Bruce and you know, Bill Hicks, stuff like that. And uh, then got into the indie uh, comics, the alternative comics of the late nineties and early thousands, people like Pat Oswalt and uh, Louis CK before he had his fall from grace. Um, you know, that sort of thing. That was a, that was, that was a grand disappointment because uh, uh, he was, he was very influential on me for the time. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it was, it was something I always loved, and I went to grad school in Savannah. I actually, I'm, I'm from Savannah, uh, at least that's what I say because uh, I'm an army brat, and uh, I settled down there when I was 23, and my mother and father had met there and got married there, uh, and when I moved there, I fell in love. Like, that is my city. It is It is just just weird enough, just drunk enough, just southern enough. It's a, it's a weird damn city, and I just felt at home immediately. And lived there for about ten years, and uh, and was doing stand up there. There is a thriving little stand up scene there, and then finally decided, well, let's go to Atlanta to give it a shot uh, yeah. to take it to the next level. And Atlanta's comedy scene is ridiculous. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a great thing. It's one of the best cities in the country for comedy, which was one of the reasons that I ultimately kind of quit <laughs> because I was I was um, I loved it. And I, 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 I'd like to think I'm a pretty talented comedian. I was pretty good at what I did. Yeah. But um, there was so much and so many people and so much good stuff. And it wasn't even an inferiority complex. It was more that if you wanted to stand out, you had to go to two, three, four open mics a night uh, and, and stay out until two or three in the morning and meet everybody and do the whole thing. And I just couldn't. Uh, I, I got into stand-up when I was 27, which is really uh, old for a stand-up comedian to get started. It's like it's like deciding you want to play the piano when you're 27. It's like, Jesus, shouldn't you have started earlier or something? Uh, <laughs> and the yeah. answer is yes, you should have started earlier. But you do what you have to do. Right. And I, I met so many supportive, amazing people. And, and after a while, there was that part of me. I was just kind of exhausted. And I said, you know what? Good luck to you. You know, I, I've worked with some amazing people. I've gotten to open for some really cool people and, and I've had some amazing stories out of it. And to answer your second question there, it, it's not that I can't do the two at once. You're absolutely right. I just find that um, the way I am, I, I kind of become obsessed with something 
for a little while. And that's where I get my best work because uh, it has, it, I devote all of my energy to that hobby or form. And that's all I do. It's all I think about. And, uh, and so I just kind of ride that. Uh, and usually when it's just a form of writing, that doesn't matter quite so much. I've always loved theater. I always went to plays, even when I wasn't writing plays, I was attending them and getting to know the scene and getting to know people and maybe even acting in a play or two or something along those lines. Um, so I never really left. It was just that um, it was, it was difficult for me to, I don't know. It was, it was difficult for me to actively work in one thing or the other. It's just the way my, my brain works as far as me aiming attention at, at craft like that. I'm definitely not that way with people. It's just with my, my crafts. I have to, I have to kind of focus on the thing that I'm doing. And when that is finished, we'll see what happens next. <laughs> and maybe it'll be a play. Maybe it'll be an epic poem. I don't know. I don't blame you, man. After what you explained to me about the whole four, uh, four shows or five shows a night, just to keep competition. I, I, I really like when you look at standard comedians, you know, like, and they go up and it looks like they're only going up for four or five minutes and then they're getting paid for the night or something like that. And it makes it seem like, Oh, this, this doesn't look that hard. I could do that. Right. But the way you talk about it uh, and the, when you actually talk to real comedians and I, I have a friend and I, I know some people that, that try to break into comedy. And cause I mean, I live close to Hollywood, so there's plenty of people trying to do that. And right. you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a job and it's a job that it's, you're, you're probably expected to not, not do anything or, or it's, go. It's a thankless and, job and it has to be what you want. You have to be, yeah, you, yeah, you hope. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I think that's great advice for anyone that's once again, that you, if you want to do it, make sure that that is all you want to do. Like, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love yeah. it that you're obsessed with it. Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't blame you if you take your time with one and then, uh, like knock it off because it, yeah. it completely sounds like, uh, it can, it can, you can be absorbed into it just like playwriting you can be absorbed in playwriting. Yes. You could be absorbed in if you want to do it well. Um, yeah, so I completely understand that. I'm yeah. so curious about. Um, so I mean, this is a podcast for LA and Orange County, and you're in Atlanta, and you're talking about Atlanta and Savannah, how wonderful it is. Yeah. And you found Stages Theater. How did you find um, Stages Theater out all the way out in Fullerton, which is uh, a place in Orange County that really people only know about Fullerton if you live in Orange County or you're from the area? So, how do you find Stages Theater? It was just lucky. Uh, I was just incredibly lucky. Um, I was, you know, any any playwright will tell you that you 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 do a lot of research on the different theaters. Sometimes you know them, sometimes you don't. Uh, yeah. And I was just looking for, you know, it was it was a brand new uh, play. Uh, the again, the first I'd written in forever, and so I was just like, let's just let's just see who's interested. And I found stages and they're such an, I haven't been there, uh, but everything that I've seen and everything that I've understood from, uh, from the people who work, oops, excuse me, uh, from the people who work there and, and that sort of thing, it's got this great um, intimate quality to it. I would, I would agree with that. I've been going for years. It's a, it's and it's a it's a wonderful smaller theater, and they yeah. really you can really tell like uh, they they care about what they're doing yes. in the shows. They really do care about it. So yeah, it's it's it is a it is a nice. Uh, it's a little gem in Fullerton. It's nice, right? Exactly, and and uh, they were looking for 
they were looking for for different plays and i think that's the coolest thing is that a lot of the more intimate theaters i've been to and seen in my experience a lot of them are more family oriented or um or just everyone oriented which is there's nothing wrong with that i like neil simon as much as the next guy uh but when you only have 50 100 seats that you uh enough room for that you want to get as many people in there as possible and and for that reason you tend to go with safer material and uh here's this intimate theater very openly saying we we want to see some weird shit you know like it wasn't it wasn't those exact words yeah but uh they, they were like we want something different we want something you know we're interested in looking at plays that are different and push a little bit and and i looked at their their history and that that adds up uh they they, they do some wonderful stuff there and they also have a good history of, of, of working with new playwrights or just original playwrights rather than more established crowd, which I think is wonderful. And uh, so I said, yeah, let's send it to them. And uh, Patty uh, uh, over in, over there, she, she got back to me pretty quick. Like she was stoked uh, about the play. And it was just this contagious feeling of enthusiasm. Like we really like this play. We want to put on this play. And you're just, I, I want you to put on the play too. Let's put on the play together. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. It was, it was, it was infectious. It was that feeling of, of enthusiasm. It, it, immediately you feel like, Oh, okay. This is in good hands. These are these, the, these, these people will, they'll do a good job with it. Uh, I unfortunately won't be able to make it out. Uh, but uh it's just in fact the the night of the of the premiere uh uh two my my two closest friends who i live with are getting married uh and i'm performing the ceremony <laughs> so even if i even if i had a plane ticket i wouldn't be able to make it out for the premiere yeah um but it's just good to it, it's always good to know someone's putting on your play but it's extra good to know it's being put on by people who are seriously excited about it and and take a lot of pride in being the first theater to put it on. Uh, that that feels real good because, you know, not to get too cliche, but when you are right, the, the, those pieces are your babies. You care about them. You take them personally. Uh, and and she's been really in touch and, and uh, giving me updates on stuff and sending me images for the poster and all that other it, it's exciting it's really great i'm looking forward to hearing how it goes so you're really connected with uh, stages keeping really connected with it did uh, you choose the director who uh, is it chris martin that's directing yes. uh, did you choose the director who's how did uh, the direction uh, the whole director and the whole cast and thing kind of get situated um, I didn't choose him. Uh, I would I wouldn't have known what to choose. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, but Chris and I are in contact. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't uh, there hasn't been a lot of need for um, a lot of uh, back and forth. He has a good grasp on what the play's about, what they're doing, uh, everything that I've I've heard from him and from Patty. Both they understand uh, what I'm going for here, and I I completely trust them with it in fact just the other day they released a video with uh the cast uh their headshots and everything like that everyone looks real good for the parts actually so i'm, I'm stoked so there's uh you're talking about uh there's you you you're saying you're a feminist and they're, they're saying you're saying there's a lot of this is a comedy for us but there's also the, the there's you're there's definitely strong themes of feminism in this in this uh in this play 
is it very obvious is it or is it very interweaved into the story uh kind of how is where is this feminism like coming from as far as uh this play is concerned well um i think the play deals with um themes that are still very relevant that are very relevant today and i think that it comes from the fact that in many ways culturally we are we are progressing uh but in many ways we're stepping back uh in in an odd way so sometimes looking back on those old art forms gives us a little bit of insight a bit of insight into what it is we're doing today and these are people these are uh, three people who were very interested in changing the world in a time of war uh america was not yet in world war ii but it was definitely on um and marston believed that uh because comic books were read by children boys mostly and soldiers and that was why there was some pushback at the idea of having a female hero who wasn't just there for tits and ass uh they wanted he wanted he said if i can show because <laughs> who is more ultra masculine in many ways than little boys and soldiers like they both they both they both embody a very um um not simplistic but a very straightforward traditional ideal of manhood boys because they are striving for that because they're not really good at subtlety and all they know is you ask any little boy, what do you want to be? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a superhero. I want to be a soldier. I want to be a ninja. You know, it's always combat or striving against the elements or something like that. And then soldiers who literally uh, are paid to fight and die. Uh, and and so Marston believed if we can, they, and these two groups read comic books more than anybody else. So how can I get, the notions of feminism into their heads well let's give them let's give it to them in a comic book and the comic books were not you know there were moments but they were you know they didn't use the word feminism in the early wonder woman comics or something it was just here's a badass woman look at her doing all the stuff that guys can do isn't yeah. that cool like and that's yeah. all it takes and we're seeing that in a lot of and um, a lot of mass market culture uh, these days from comic books uh, where they're trying to increase diversity uh, on a lot of levels, whether it be the uh, LGBTQ community, uh, including more more uh, members of that community into comic books, uh, people of color, you know, just different religions, all kinds of stuff. And we're seeing that in movies. We're seeing that in everything, really. And uh, there is pushback. We're seeing it happen. People are claiming that these new Star Wars movies are worse than than the prequels because, oh, man, they just they just made her a uh, they just made the main character a girl because they wanted to make the, the you know, the stupid hippie liberals happy of all a lot. It's it's, it's it. and, and you know what? Here's the trouble. We don't know the producers. We uh, we don't know what their reasoning or rationale behind that is. Maybe that is why. Maybe they're maybe they're going. This is a business decision, and I'm sure plenty. There are plenty of examples where that does happen, and there are also plenty of examples where they're like, no, this needs to be addressed. We need to have this. People deserve this. Uh, when I went to see I went to see Black Panther with a girl uh, I was seeing at the time, and I remember we walked out, and I said, how fucking cool is it? that black folks finally got a comic book movie 
that good. Like that's great. And everyone can enjoy it, but it, it, it gave a reflection. It gave other people for once something. And, and, and we're seeing that in a lot of different directions, whether it's, whether it's your race, your religion, or your sexuality or your gender identity, what have you, we're seeing that tapping into mass media and, and culture and that sort of thing. And this is kind of a much earlier level of that. Uh, at least that's how I thought of it as I was writing it. And, uh, and plus I just like sex jokes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really sex jokes. Oh, I guess really, really, really dominating theory from a lot of people that if you're a feminist, it must mean you're frigid and you don't enjoy sex or anything like that. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, and I'm saying that not and just because I'm a guy saying that doesn't mean that there are plenty of folks out there who agree with me on that. It, it's true. And uh, it's about comedy is about punching up. It's about, you know, helping out the little guy. It's about making sure that the, it's always, you can always make fun of people, but you want to try and avoid people who are, who are being made fun of and are powerless, you know? And, and so when you're making fun of people for their sexuality or, 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 you know, or femininity or something like, I'm getting off on a whole goddamn tangent here. Oh, no, it's um, That's what a podcast is about. <laughs> but that, that punching down attitude, it, it's, it's, ugly and it's nasty and and the reason a lot of people think well if you're a feminist you must not like sexual jokes it's like no i love sexual jokes the problem is is that so many sexual jokes in the past have been dominated by domestic abuse and making fun of gay people and and all kinds of stuff that's just you can have sex jokes there are plenty of great ones out there but it's 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 about shifting and and the the, the old jokes We've we've been hearing again, once again, the millionth damn time recently. The whole you couldn't make blazing saddles today thing. And I was talking to a friend of my a friend of mine about that recently. The whole and I was like, well, of course you couldn't make blazing saddles again today because those jokes aren't as funny uh, for the same reason. It's still a brilliant film, but you couldn't do those jokes again because they aren't as relevant today as they were then. You watch Blazing Saddles and go, holy fuck, when was this made? This is amazing. I can't. It's like it's like seeing. It's like seeing silent film era pornography, you know, you're like, holy shit, I can't believe they made this stuff. And it's amazing. Then you look at pornography and go, that's just pornography. I've seen that. Yeah. We've all seen that. It's nothing, nothing. There's no revelation to it, no, but seeing much art in there, not too much. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's that, but that's the thing. And, and, so being able to take it back to a, a, an older time and subvert those expectations and play with them a bit and, and, and sex jokes are, you know, in, in the thirties. Come on. <laughs> and I think you mentioned it a little bit. I think, uh, I think you have a good point. I think comedy is a great way of um, kind of bringing up topics that are a little risque and it's like, but then you're also, what you're doing is you're taking this topic that's still kind of, I would say, still risque today. Uh, you know, yes, uh, I can't even say it, BDSM or whatever it's called. Yeah, and all that, that kind of stuff. You, know, you can tell how much I I look into this stuff. But <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but uh, it's, it even seems risque today. But you're like saying, hey, the guy that wrote Wonder Woman, he was doing it back then. All the back then. So this is not new stuff. This exactly. Is not, this is not something that people don't do that people haven't done, you know. And um, yeah. 
I'm sure plenty of people have done this kind of stuff for years, decades without, you know, hurting anyone or bothering anyone. It's what they wanted to do. They did it and they did it for themselves with someone else, you know, and it was perfectly fine. And they had to hide. That's the thing. Uh, you know, when, when, when gay yeah. people started being way more open uh, yeah. in the seventies and eighties and what yeah. have you, I think a lot of the older folks, they reacted in the same way that a lot of the folks nowadays are reacting to trans people because they just didn't know they existed because they hid. Uh, they didn't have a lot of options. And the only thing they knew about them was the occasional easy gay joke that they saw on television or what have you. They'd heard of them, but they'd never seen two men holding hands before. And it freaked them the fuck out. They, pro they believed that gay people just emerged from the earth. You know, like, like we didn't have gay people 10 years ago. Yes, you did. They just weren't out. They just, we didn't have trans people 10 years ago. The fuck you didn't, you know, <laughs> they just didn't have the options and yeah. they're sick of hiding and they're out, man. That's, and right. that's fucking cool. Cause you just don't, that's the wonderful thing about plays. You just don't, um, especially with new works. I love, I love these new works because I feel like if you're not a person that watches a theater reviewer like me that watches a lot of plays, and stuff like that is just layperson. You don't, uh, you know, you, you just you'll go to a lot of theaters. They're just playing, old, you know, old standard plays. Just like you said, Neil Simon's and all those, all those wonderful plays, Les Mis, all those plays. Hey, I, I, I love myself some Les Mis. And, oh, you know, dude, like, that's one of my family's favorite plays. I, I love, I love, that. I love, the, I love all those classics. Oh yeah. Just talking about uh, my wife, just how much I love Glass Menagerie and how she doesn't understand why I love that play so much. It's a great play. It's well, it's well written play, classic play. Um, but you know, just like you were talking about old, older stuff, you know, um, it's set in another time. It was written a long time ago, and and it's nice to sometimes, uh, you know, watch these new plays that come out and stuff like that, and sometimes. Sadly enough, it, I think the newer plays, um, unless they're coming out of a bigger theater, they don't have the same um, marketing reach, so people don't really know about them as much, yeah. um, which I, I'm trying. I do my best to try and let people know about these new works and, and put them out there. But uh, when you when you actually take the time to sit down and go to these theaters, these plays, uh, and, you know, um, you're like, oh, man, they're doing they're doing topics and, and covering stuff that that's uh just not being talked about or done in the mainstream and it's and it can be it can be it can just be amazing man it can be really, so, excellent. so i've been just theater is, theater is so excellent yeah because because yeah. of that you yeah. know you would think that because of the distance of film because um, you can watch a TV show or a movie or something like that and see some crazy shit that you'd never be able to see on stage uh, from a special effects point of view, from a, from a, even nudity or that sort of thing. And you, it doesn't phase you quite as much because it's in the TV, it's on the screen, and you're like, well, that's far away. Um, and as a result, you would expect that theater would be tame by comparison fuck no theater i've seen some amazing theater just in the past five ten years alone that that th these new plays that i see new plays that i read that that i'm just like you're doing what like what is <laughs> what is happening here and it's just something i never expect to see in a film or a tv show. the best part about theater is its inherent theatricality uh that is so 
great to 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 read or see some of these plays. Uh, it's it's one of the reasons, honestly, why so many plays that are adapted to film uh, tend to just not be as good uh, because they lack that they lack that theatricality. Especially when you look at something like um, I don't know, Angels in America, uh, or or on a completely other side of that, uh, the producers, uh, both of which I've seen on stage, and both of which I've seen the film adaptations of, and uh, and the the stage production. Uh, is always better, even when it's a small ragtag group of people doing it, because it's that much rawer. It's that much it, it it hits you that much harder because this horrible thing is happening right in front of you. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's really and and they lose their bite uh, when you translate it to uh, the to film, unless you change it enough to adapt for that which some people just don't they're just like well just well just film the the play fuck it you know <laughs> <laughs> um what's 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 um so coming from a comedy background what's more important story or or uh, or making people laugh in your um life? story story if people don't uh if people even even the silliest comedies you've ever seen still have still tend to center around some level of a story um, people, people are willing to uh, suspend their disbelief. Uh, uh, but, uh, you still gotta, you gotta treat them like adults, give them something. Um, even uh, some of the best comedians I know, uh, people like Mike Birbiglia, for example, uh, are famous for their one person shows. And there's no question when you listen to him that he is doing stand up comedy, but it's all centered around a story. And to me, that makes it that much more powerful and, and meaningful. Um, story will always be king to me uh it's just a matter of and and honestly uh when it comes to playwriting i don't think about the jokes as much i don't i don't i will go occasionally through a script and go all right let's punch up let's do let's let's see if i can make this funnier or or make this more interesting or something along those lines but the comedy just naturally comes for me uh i i write really dark stuff a lot of the times and uh, and I I have had I've had it happen in the past in grad school uh, uh, most pronounced when in grad school I'm you know you're writing constantly you know you what's what's the latest thing you're working on a new thing a week it felt like and uh, and I was I, I gained a reputation with my advisor uh, for him saying all right well what's this new thing you're working on and I would describe to him the plot and uh, and his face would kind of drop. And he was a good Catholic man, uh, uh, and 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 his yeah. face—he just had this look on his face of what? This is about what? And I would always end the the pitch, uh, if you want to call it that, by saying, "But don't worry, it's funny." And uh, and and he'd go, "I'll have to take your word for it." And I would present him with the script and he'd go, oh, it is funny. Okay, it's just it, I I like dark topics and I think that. Comedy is the perfect, uh, uh, you know, medicine for that. Uh, it, it's the perfect, it's the perfect carrier uh, for for all of the satirical, you know, wise ass things you want to say about society. Uh, it was an Oscar Wilde, you know, if you're going to tell the truth, make them laugh, or else they'll kill you. Uh, yeah. And I, I just can't help but insert jokes when I write because I, I take things seriously. I take a lot of things seriously. I don't have the ability to take myself all that seriously. So I find that when I, when I, when my, when I am traveling into 
some dark content or, or if I ever feel like a try hard, I feel like I'm trying to educate the masses, man. I got things to say. Like I, I, my brain, you know, proactively sees that coming and goes, fuck you. Let's make it funny. You can't, you, you're, no one's going to sit. You're not David Mamet. No one's going to sit through this, you know, like just, just, Let's let's make them laugh along the way, and so I naturally just pepper in jokes, even even when I'm writing something that I consider to be a very serious topic. Uh, and, and it's just it's just the way I process things. I think what 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 uh what really makes uh what kind of goes to my head is like how like um what's the word I want to use um it's um there's some conflicting things going on with uh with uh, with the writer of Wonder Woman well while while he's uh, a feminist of uh, I don't he didn't I don't know if he's ever said he was a feminist but he's creating this strong feminist character that that uh, created a, a, a woman superhero in a time when there wasn't really a woman superhero at the same time he gives her such a sexist weak weakness of a guy the way she gets weak is by having her arms bound yes by a man it's like this is this is this these two things it's like they don't uh it, it just shows that people can be very complicated very complicated yes. uh, it's not every, everything doesn't always fit into a perfect box and i don't and it doesn't mean that um i don't know if i don't think that diminishes what that person was trying to say or anything like that no. uh, but it's uh, but it's definitely uh it's definitely um conflicting it's kind of some conflicting information there well, i think for him it was about uh i i don't i i would have to double check but from how i understand it it was about um for her to submit to a man uh mm -hmm. is the worst thing that she could possibly do and it takes away her power right. um uh, i think that's where it comes from but i see your point uh right. and it certainly is the kind of thing uh, and this is the problem with a lot of satire uh, in general is that it, 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 people can it can and will misinterpret what you're trying to say. Yes, yes. Uh, that's all there is to it. Fight Club is one of the greatest examples of this. Uh, you know, Fight Club is a punchline uh, these days uh, because of the you know edgelord, you know white high school teenage guy who's like, yeah, man, I'm Tyler Durden and da 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 and I'm, I'm a badass. I'm going to destroy something beautiful. La, la, la. And you're like, that is actually the opposite point of the book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, no, no, uh, this is, this is a, a problematic thing. It's uh, I mean, a, a simpler one would be, uh, I know remember it was from this uh, really fun comedian. He, uh, he, he made this exact same point. He's like, Please don't go out of a Jurassic Park and think that the lesson of Jurassic Park is to create making more dinosaurs. You came out of Jurassic Park thinking we need to make more dinosaurs. Well, you you didn't watch Jurassic Park, and you need to rethink about what you're what you what you're uh, what you're look what you're looking into. So, uh, yeah, no, this is um, this. I I definitely there's definitely uh, situations uh, where this can be problematic, and I think it's. Uh, just gets more uh, it gets more and more like this um because because of the internet because um because more and more people um are, can uh, can go on message boards and uh philosophize over a million different things about a million different things all the time and um, i i i don't know if these people um just 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 like we were talking about people just pop up out of nowhere and they want to <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't think these uh, these these people that are misinterpreting um, these stories and all this kind of stuff. I don't think they just came out of nowhere. I think they've probably always been here. They just uh, now they've got the internet and they've got right. a good place a good place to uh, to spread to spread um, their new uh, perceptions on on what they think the story is. You know. Oh, the the internet is easily the greatest and worst thing that has ever happened to us in equal measure. It is a fucking David, David Bowie told everyone he was David Bowie. He was like, man, this internet's going to be a big thing. Yeah. It is. It is a miracle and a goddamn nightmare at the same time. And, and look at it, everyone and everyone agrees on this. Everyone. It doesn't matter what your political stances are, or what have you. Everyone will go. Ugh, the internet. I better talk about how much I hate the internet on Twitter. Like that is that is the mo of most people these days. It's, it's we all hate it, but we love it at the same time. We're addicted. Uh, it it makes it makes so many things possible that weren't possible before. Um, unfortunately, some of those things are horrifying. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm so curious about the. Oh, I have an idea about. The name, but uh, uh, where did this name Suprema come from? Why did you name this place Suprema? Oh, that was her original name. Uh, originally, she was meant to be Suprema. Um, Wonder Woman was a change that they made after DC bought the character. Mm. Um, you know, Suprema. He wanted he wanted that feminine supreme. You know, the the the, the great woman, uh, Superman, Suprema. Yeah. You know that it was it was basically that same level. Uh, and um, and I don't I don't know what the exact reasoning was. I think it was I, it was a marketing decision. I think ultimately they 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 said we need something that draws a little more attention to the fact that she's a woman because if we're going to sell this to boys, she's gonna have she's gonna have to have a short skirt at least, you know, like so we can we because that's the only reason they're gonna pick it up and and maybe we can hook them with um, with the story after that. It's kind of like we were talking about before when we said uh, we said how. A producer might have a totally jaded, cynical reason for including a gay person or a person of color or something like that in their movie or TV show or what have you. Um, but there is an argument to be made for as long as we hook them in somewhere, as long as people are being represented and people go, oh, look, there's me, you know, and, and, and you know, it's like it, it, whether the producer did it for a jaded or cynical reason, ultimately doesn't matter you know and I, I think that was there's it's kind of off topic but like with changing her name to wonder woman drawing the attention to the fact that she's a woman um which marston did want um you know but making it making it more clear that it's like you want to titillate younger men and and, and of, of many ages with her um he probably wouldn't have liked that aspect of it, but he, he did want people to read it. There's so many shows they could go to to watch theater at a different places. Why why choose Suprema over over those other shows? Uh, Suprema, first off, it's a brand new play. Uh, you're This is literally the world premiere uh, of Suprema. This is the first and only chance for you to see this right now. Uh, uh, you know, and if it's good then you get, if this play is meant to be grand and great, you can walk away going, holy shit, I got to see that the first time when it was in, you know, a little theater and with, you know, fistful of people and that sort of thing. And if the play sucks, then you get to pat yourself on the back and say, I knew that one would never work. Uh, and you know you want that. 
uh, you, you know, you want to have that opportunity. Uh, it, it opens yeah. on uh, March 9th. Uh, so in less than a month and they're running, it's running throughout March every Saturday and Sunday uh, until the 30th of March. Uh, so you definitely, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's a good date movie, a uh, movie, good date film. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny. It has serious stuff and, 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 you know, it's got, it's got people being bound and gagged and, uh, and, and jazz music and, you know, and, and all the finest things in life. It's a, it, and comic book characters and pie. Uh, it's got all, all of the, all of the things that will make your life better. You you have pie in this play, and I didn't ask. Pie you. plays a and then how did pie? Oh yeah, pie okay. well, you heard him. You, you heard him. It's just just I mean, if you don't like comic books or anything like that, you I mean, who doesn't like pie? There's pie yeah, this come show. for the pie. Come yeah. for the pie, which actually is a very apropos uh, way of putting it, and you'll understand that after you see the play. Uh, so see see me dangling that carrot. Ooh, I see it. I see yeah. it. The podcast, but I see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they they don't see it. I see it, and you see it, and that's really what's important. I dangled a carrot, listeners. That's what's important. Uh, I had a literal carrot, and it was tied to a stick. I was waiting for this moment to do that. 